today we are going to jump into one of the most awesome passages in the entire Bible. And Judges 4 and 5 talk about Deborah, a judge and leader of Israel. And she is really in a unique class. In the Old Testament, if we look at the number of women who are named by name and have a prominent role to play in the shaping of God's people and the history of the Israelite nation, you can count them on one hand. There's five. And Deborah is one of those. And so we're just going to jump right into the word today. And I've tried to make it a little easier for who is who in this story we're about to read, because it gets a little complicated. And we have a terrible map uh, that we're going to talk about, because there's a a number of different cities that we're going to talk about as well. So hopefully that will help shed some light on this. But I'm just going to start right off with the word. And we're going to jump into Judges 4. And um, I think, why don't we just go ahead and read the whole thing? We're going to read 1 through 24. And you want to do that for me to start, Laura? After Ehud died, the Israelites again did what the Lord said was wrong. So he led Jabin, a king of Canaan, who ruled in the city of Hazor, defeat Israel. Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hegelim, was the commander of Jabin's army. Because he had 900 iron chariots and was very cruel to the people of Israel for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. A prophetess named Deborah, the life of Lapidoth, was judge of Israel at the time. Deborah would sit under the palm tree of Deborah, which was between the cities of Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim, and the people of Israel would come to her to settle their arguments. Deborah sent a message to Barak, son of Abinamim. <laughs> Barak lived in the city of Kadesh, which is in the area of Naphtali. Deborah said to Barak, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go and gather 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them to Mount Tabor. I will make Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army and his chariots and his army, meet you at the Kishon River. I will hand Sisera over to you. Then Barak said to Deborah, I will go if you go with me, but if you won't go with me, I'm not going. Of course I will go with you, Deborah answered, but you will not get credit for the victory. The Lord will let a woman defeat Sisera. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called the people of Zebulun and Naphtali together. From them, he gathered 10,000 men to follow him, and Deborah went with him also. Now Heber, the Kenite, had left other Kenites, the descendants of Hoab, Moses' brother-in-law. Heber had put up his tent by the great tree of Inzanim near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, or Barak, son of Abinamim, had gone to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Hirosheth Hegeum to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Get up! Today is the day the Lord will hand over Sisera. The Lord has already cleared the way for you. So Barak had 10,000 men down. He led 10,000 men down Mount Tabor. As Barak approached, the Lord confused Sisera and his army and chariots. The Lord defeated them with the sword, but Sisera left his chariot and ran away on foot. Barak and his men chased Sisera's chariots and army to Hirosheth Hegeum. With their swords, they killed all of Sisera's men. Not one of them was left alive. But Sisera himself ran away to the tent where Jael lived. She was the wife of Heber, one of the Kenite family groups. Heber's family was at peace with Jabin, son of Hazor. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, master. Come in. Don't be afraid. So Sisera went in Jael's tent, and she covered him with a rug. Sisera said to Jael, I am thirsty. Please give me some water to drink. So she opened a leather bag of milk and gave him a drink. Then she covered him up. He said to her, Go stand at the entrance to the tent. If anyone comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. 
But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and a hammer and quietly went to Sisera. Since he was very tired, he was in a deep sleep. She hammered the tent peg through the side of Sisera's head and into the ground, and so Sisera died. At that very moment, Barak came by Jael's tent, chasing Sisera. Jael went out to meet him and said, Come, I will show you the man you are looking for. So Barak entered her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his head. On that day, God defeated Jabin, king of Canaan, in the sight of Israel. Israel became stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they finally destroyed him. Thank you. That is, this is one of the great stories of the Bible. And actually, I was talking to Laura before um, we started. This is actually immortalized in a lot of art from antiquity and from the Renaissance. Um, Jael and Sisera, Deborah, leader of, and judge of the Israelites. First, I'm just going to start by talking about the belligerents, just so we're clear, because it's a little confusing. Good is green, bad is red, <clears throat> give or take. So we have Deborah a judge or a leader of Israel. This is the same word that is used for the other judges. She is, she is equivalent to them. Um, <clears throat> Deborah. Barak is her commander of her army. Jael I put in parentheses on the green side, if only to say <clears throat> there's no indication here that God commanded her to do this. There's no indication that she is acting necessarily for the good of Deborah or the Israelites. She may be acting in her own self-interest, but it's clear that she acted uh, in a way that was pleasing to God. And so I put her, of course, in the good side. On the bad side, we have Jabin, king of the Canaanites, <clears throat> and his commander Sisera, one of the biggest sissies <laughs> of the whole Bible, right? He's losing, so he runs away. So before we get into it, what do you guys think of this passage? What are your, what are your thoughts here? <clears throat> Mm-hmm. That is a perfect observation. <clears throat> he doesn't want to do it without her. Now, why doesn't Deborah just do this? Here's the cultural part. <clears throat> Are women military commanders in antiquity? Absolutely not. <clears throat> Absolutely not. Deborah would not be accepted. She is a leader. She is a judge of Israel, but um, <clears throat> culturally, she would not be accepted as a military commander here. So she needs to have, and, and again, this is not a misogynistic thing. This is a cultural thing. It's important for her to find someone to lead her army, <clears throat> who is a on-the-battlefield military commander, and so she calls Barak. But like Laura just said, is Barak the kind of material that would make a great leader of the people? No, no, he's kind of a coward. Um, he's short-sighted. What does it say about his... He doesn't trust God. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Does he trust God? Because, yeah. <clears throat> and Deborah, the way she says it, like, mm -hmm. she's like, the Lord God, you know, commanded you. Yep. Like, so I think if God had commanded Deborah to lead the troops, she would have done it. It's sure. just that God didn't command her to do it. Right. He commanded her to ask. Right. Yeah. You know? He wouldn't go unless she went with him. Yeah, exactly. Good morning. Sorry. That's all good. It's all good. <laughs> You've doubled the class size. But no, I'm kidding. Um, <clears throat> I find it interesting how I mean, she gets a clear message from God that today's the day. This yep. is how you're going to do it. You're going to go there, mm -hmm. they're going to meet you at the river, you're going to overtake them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I parallel that to 
life, my life now, it's like, if I can just have that clear yeah. direction, you know, it'd be nice. This is a great, this is a great point. <clears throat> How do you think she received that direction? Let's just... She may have, she might have been like, is this for, is that really you guys? Uh-huh. Is this for real? <clears throat> Mm -hmm. Certain of it. Yep. Certain enough to go tell somebody else that this is what right. she said. There is no <clears throat> indication here. It's a it's a great point, Ken. <clears throat> that <clears throat> there is no indication that an angel or God Himself has appeared to Deborah. Now, often in the Old Testament and New Testament, of course, when when God speaks to people, often you'll see a very clear indication that has happened. An angel of the Lord appears to Mary. You're about to have a son who is going to be the Messiah. God himself appears in the form of a burning bush to Moses to say, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. Here, there is no, there is no written indication that this has happened. There's some kind of, and what we call it is a theophany, meaning an appearance of God or his messengers. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And again, I like to, to caution that when you read the Bible, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. I've said that before. <clears throat> that means that just because you didn't read it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But maybe, maybe not. It's significant that you don't read it here. However, Deborah is very certain because the first thing she says is to, to Barak, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. And she's got the command with her. So somehow she knows. It seems like God spoke to them in dreams a lot too. Okay. It doesn't specifically say that. And a lot of times it will specifically say God spoke to, you know, so and so in yep. dreams. So let's talk about the application here. So first we have theophanies. This is the physical manifest manifestation of God. And this can include God. It can include angels. <coughs> now the second thing, and kind of related to that, is what you just said, which is dreams. <coughs> dreams is a big, even today, for our friends and missionaries who are missionaries in the Middle East, um, there are cultures around the world that put a lot of significance on, in dreams. <clears throat> and we've had stories of, of friends of ours who have said, someone I didn't know, never, you know, have never really met before, didn't really know in, in the past, came to me and said, God came to me in a dream and said, I need to talk to you and follow Jesus. And, and so, you know, they did. Um, even from Islamic cultures, dreams are very, very, very powerful, especially in antiquity. <clears throat> Um, Joseph has a dream, famously, um, about Jesus and the Messiah and having to go to Egypt and this and that. So, what about us? <clears throat> what, how do we extend this list? How else does God speak to us? Or did God speak to them? Well, he spoke to Barak through Deborah. <laughs> there we go. Here we go. This, through people, this is <clears throat> probably the most underrated but most significant way that I think God speaks to human beings and is completely discounted, I think, in today's society. Deborah came to Barak and said, God has told me you need to go lead our army to victory. And Barak is like, meh, what? But nah. I mean, 
That okay. makes us nervous today. Ah. See, mm-hmm. the thing is, it was Deborah who was already the spiritual yep. leader of people coming to him. Yep. So that adds credibility to it. See, this is a but really good point. Consider their position. Yep. Can't argue with it. <coughs> yep. So I'm a little skeptical at times when I hear that specific person in my past that very much so used God told me this. Yep. I think what we have to I mean, you're you're exactly right. I mean, you know, anybody can claim hmm? some epiphany. But I think then what we we're trying to do is compare that with scripture and exactly. validate it. And if, it, if what they're saying is in any way deviates from scripture, well then they're false. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, is there a Bible study on the armor of God? Like, yes. You know, Which I've heard amazing things about, by the way. <laughs> and one of the things she said about that, because we were talking about the, sh- the shoes of peace, I believe mm-hmm. it was that section, that you, know, that you have to take steps. <coughs> you have to actually move. Mm. And uh, I think it was that section anyway. And anyway, but her one of the lines she said was faithfulness. Maybe it was the breastplate of faithfulness, but faithfulness is not foolishness. Mm. And and um, you do have to have godly counsel and look to scripture. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you can't just... God, I, I'm going to... Right. Excellent. This, these are all right. It's kind of like let me have a checklist. Every time I hear someone say, "This is what God's telling me," right? Now, first, if they're telling them, you know, it's their life, right? Um, but if it if it impacts you or others, then you have to ask yourselves, well, who is this person telling me this? If this is the pastor of a church and his track record is sound. That, that, it's weighted, right? I mean, it is kind of weighted. You say, well, that gives credence to what I'm hearing here. <clears throat> Consider their track record, the same thing. Um, if someone comes and tells you God is telling me this, and, and maybe they have, not, they have lived a very sinful life, they, don't, they haven't been baptized, they're not Christian, I'm not saying that God isn't speaking to them. I'm saying that, well, that's part of the, the equation here. You know, is this really true? Consider the biblical and scriptural reference. This is spot on. We've got to do this. If this goes against what you have read in the Bible, against scripture, that's a big strike, right? Um, of course, it's, it's, it's relative to some degree. I get that. But this is why this class is so important. Look, it's not just my class. The armor of God. Bible studies. Get into a Bible study if you're not already. This is mostly for the people online because these people are already in one. Uh, get, get into a Bible study. You can't know God's truth fully if you don't read the good book. And the good book is literally free and available to every single human, in, at least in North America, and, and many throughout the world. In fairness, they didn't have Sir. Thank you. Yeah, well, they did. Now, let's, let's, you know, they didn't have the whole thing. I'll give you that. They didn't have the whole thing. But by the time of the judges, they certainly, we believe, had they had the they had the law. And and it was again, and I and look, the number one thing I will push at Pathway 
in my ministry as an elder is biblical scholarship. The people of Judges had the, the scriptures. Um, they had teachers of the law. They had the high priest, all right? They had priests. They had um, not really rabbis at this period, but they had teachers. They had scribes. They had the availability of the scripture with them. Guess what happens when people start to deviate from God and from God's laws? What's the first thing that goes out the window? They stop listening to the Holy... They stop reading the Holy Scriptures. They stop listening to them and become ignorant of them. How many Christians today who attend church somewhat regularly do you think can name all of the books of the Bible? Now, is that, is that your key to entrance into heaven? Absolutely not. Is it a first step towards understanding what God's Word is? Absolutely yes. <clears throat> um, you know... It's right there. Like when we were in the yeah. God, she brings this up a couple different times about how, like, in Deuteronomy, where God says He commands them to like talk about it when you're sitting down and when you're getting up, and talk about the law, like to your children and write it on your door. That's it. And put it on your heart and your forehead and all these things, and because He wanted it to be not just He didn't want the priest to stand there and tell them about it. He wanted them to know it in their homes and their families and to this is this is a godly expectation not a suggestion it is it is scriptural it is expected that you will know the holy scriptures you will at least hear them you will at least try to understand them and if you can read you should read them okay now this is to steve's point is god's nature if someone is telling me something that god is telling them to do but it goes against God's nature. That's a big red flag as well. And then finally, I think the most important for us is this one. This is, if I were to say the two biggest things that a Christian can engage in <clears throat> that is expected by God and that will help you on your discipleship journey, it is, it is reading the Bible and praying. <clears throat> There's no way you can know what God wants for you if you're not listening. And how many of us pray speaking but not listening? <laughs> <laughs> How many of us nod off at night, and you know, I don't do this anymore, this was my big red flag for a long time, is I would pray, but I would only pray right before I go to bed, and I, would, and I don't remember my prayer because I fell asleep doing it. But I fell asleep doing it because I was, I was chattering, 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 falling asleep. Where was the, the time in there for God to tell me anything, <laughs> right? There too many people are searching for what's the will of God, yep. what's the will of God for my life? And they look for books, and they read Rick Warren. And, yep. they, and I'm not saying those are bad books. But if you want to know the will of God for your life, read Scripture and yep. pray. Yep. That's all you need. That's you don't it. need a special <coughs> recipe from any, any evangelist or pastor. Um, <coughs> God gave it to us. And if you do that, you'll find it. Your will, his will for you is to live according to what's in the Scripture. That's God's will for your life. You could teach this class, Steve. I mean, this is right on. This is 100% true. Where cults get into trouble. Jehovah's I'm going to call them out. Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. Latter-day Saints are a cult. If you don't like that, don't watch this channel. <laughs> um, they're cults. Why? Because they have put the, the, the words of their leaders above the Holy Scriptures and above prayer. When you do that, you get cults. And you get people led horribly astray, 
horribly astray. <clears throat> okay. Um, <coughs> off the soapbox. Back into the word. Let's look at some of this here. So these are the belligerents. <laughs> and this is the area. So the area that we're talking is largely northern Israel this time. And I've blown this up. Of course, it looks horrible. But here's the Dead Sea. So this is really a zoomed-in view of northern Israel. So we have the Dead Sea. We have the Sea of Galilee, which at the time is called Chinneroth. There's another lake I never draw. Hula. A hula hoop. Lake Hula. It's a little tiny lake up here in the mountains, northern Israel. So which way does the water run? It runs this way. Okay. It runs south. So the elevation is such that this is mountainous. Okay. This is a rift valley, and this is the lowest elevation. In fact, this is the lowest, I believe this is the lowest elevation on Earth in land, is right here. Um, 200 and some feet below sea level. It's lower than, I think it's lower than than um, Death Valley, or it's close to it, um, the bottom of the sea. So this is all mountains. This is mountains, Rift Valley. Water flows this way. Now, here it flows to the sea. So here we have more mountains. And for the Kishon River, it flows this way to the sea. So here we have Jabus, which is Jerusalem. It will become Jerusalem. Here we have the towns of Bethel and Ramah. <coughs> Here is, who, no, one, no one really knows where the Palm of Deborah really was. It's somewhere in this area just north of Jerusalem. We have the Kishon, we have Tabor. Harasheth, the mouthful. Is that the Hegeum? Yeah, this is the, the double name, and I just wrote the first part. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have Hazor. And then we have Kadesh. And so this is, this is Syria. Um, and, of course, this is Canaan. So this is kind of where all this is taking place. So where was the tent where he got killed? Is that so I think this is out here. This is on the, near the battlefield. <clears throat> so the battle takes place over in this area. <clears throat> and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. So, okay, so it would be up here. This is the tent. Oh, so the battle's down there and he runs all the way Yeah, he, he flees northward. Okay. So... We'll put the tent. <laughs> okay, tent. All right. They had to chase him quite a ways then. Really. That dude got away. What do you notice? Some some interesting things. I remember we've talked about the Bronze Age. The Bronze Age is coming to an end here. What do we notice about the force of um, Jabin? Lots of chariots. What kind of chariots? Iron chariots. So again, I keep making this point, and maybe this is super boring, but we are, we are still at the very beginning of the Iron Age. Iron is far superior to bronze. It's much stronger. It can, it can be forged in a much stronger steel, um, while iron at this point uh, with, with very sharp weapons. Chariots. He has overwhelming force. So what does this suggest to you as far as who has the military superiority here? Jabin. Jabin, on paper, has the, the more superior force. <clears throat> Time it again. Yep. I mean, we don't even, we don't even say that we have one chariot, <laughs> let alone 900. Right. right, right. And it's funny, too, because there's a lot of debate about what chariots were used for in antiquity. Now, a lot of modern people will say, well, it was some kind of armored, like, tank, 
It was some kind of armored, um, you know, tank-like vehicle that you could you could go into battle and use, and you know, instead of having um, you know just by foot, you could move a lot more quickly throughout the battlefield because it's iron. You could hide in it, and you know, projectiles and swords would clang off of it, and you know, you could be sweeping, cutting off heads, and hutting down. That might have been one way that that chariots were used. Another way that chariots were were thought to be used was just they were troop carriers. So you could very quickly get some of your elite people onto the battlefield, dump them off, maybe capture your wounded, get them back out, and, and, and so the cycle goes. They were, they were probably used as um, uh, intelligence gathering, right? So today we have jets and we have, we have spy planes and we have, um, we have satellites. But in those days, you know, maybe I just need to get into the battlefield and get a really good, like, situation report on what's actually happening. You could get in, a commander or a captain could see what's going on, get back out and report. So there was a lot of different ways that these chariots were used, but by um, all accounts, they were, they were superior to, to allow a force to be a, a superior battle force. They weren't necessarily just the ones you picture in the movie Gladiator. Right. The one or two man right. Job. Right, very good. This is good. You should draw it. You should come up here, dude. I want some special guests on my my show. I don't know. No, this is great. Okay, but what ends up happening? So time and again, uh, in the Old Testament, we see example of God's people still have not mastered certain technologies for war. Who wins this battle? Israelites. Yeah. So God, the Israelites. How how do they win? Is this a, is this a close call? God wins. Yeah, God wins. Mm-hmm. The entire force is wiped out. Now we don't know how close it came before that happened, but we know the end result. They wiped out his entire army. I, find, I found it interesting that there's no mention of how many Israelites died, or mm-hmm. how bloody the battle was, or anything like, anything like that. It just goes kind of jumps right to, and they killed everybody by the sword. That's yeah. funny because I was thinking the same thing. You never hear because uh-huh. you certainly would think some of them died. Mm-hmm. It's like the focus is on the victory, not what it takes to get the victory. What does that tell you about the author and the author's intentions here? God came through. God came through. Like he said he would. Like he said he would. What does it tell you about the leadership? Well, it's pro-leadership. <laughs> it is pro-leadership. Now here is, again, I am going to make this case that Deborah is almost unique amongst the judges of the book of Judges. Most of the time when you read about the incidents of, of and again, we'll read the song of Deborah here in a minute, um, but I think most of you know where this is leading. In most cases in the book of Judges, what happens to that judge? Tell me about the qualities of that judge or that character. They have like a rise and then there's a fall. A rise and a fall. We see both their good qualities and their bad. They both, they're they're complex people. They follow God, but they also have a lot of flaws. What are Deborah's flaws here? I haven't seen any. I haven't seen a, I haven't seen a flaw. 
what is the author telling you about the victory here? Is the victory a close call? Is there a lot of is there a lot of problems on the you know aside from this guy Barack? What do you notice about the victory? That despite the fear, the uncertainty, mm-hmm. all of that, it was a total massacre. So it's a total overwhelming victory, overwhelming victory, no flaw on the part of the judge. the The leadership here is solid. Deborah is a solid leader who is very clear to Barack and says what? If, if you're not going to do this on your own, like God has told you, then what? What is the warning? A woman's going to defeat Sisera, not you. A woman is going to defeat Sisera. And how much, how much glory is Barack going to get? <laughs> Big goose egg. Big goose egg. This is an awesome story. It's probably also a reflection of her personality. Mm. Um, you know, him wanting to include her, him wanting, you know, what said, I don't want to go into battle without you. Mm. You know, he valued her. Very good. Very good. And he didn't complain about, well, you're a woman. Don't even talk to me, right? She's like, it's the opposite. Warrior princess. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know, it's a, that is awesome. Yep. We read the whole first. Uh, we read all of chapter four. Let's talk about jail. Yep. J L A E, not A I. This is pretty gutsy. A woman sees a military commander. Now, military commanders probably do not look weak. They probably don't look happy. They probably don't look friendly. The man has just lost his entire army, and he has fled a good way here to get away. She is gutsy. She goes right to him. She goes to him. Jael went out to meet Sisera. What's also funny is that he asked for water, uh-huh. but she gives him milk. Why did she give him milk? Well, it makes him sleepy. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to put this. The whole time. We got two smart women here. Very clever. I'm not going to give him water because that'll just make him, you know, he'll come you know, revive and then he'll want to do whatever. Oh, you, it's all good. Have some milk. Lay down. I'll start the fire. I'll put a blanket on you. And she's Hebrews, is that how you say it? Her, mm-hmm. His wife, and he kind of was playing middle of the road yes. with this whole battle. Yes. Probably feeding the enemy information yep. where Israel was. Mm-hmm. And he's sitting back saying, well, this army is going to kick the crap out of these guys. He sees the writing here on the I, wall. I can't, I can't jump on this side because mm-hmm. then they'll kill me too. Mm-hmm. Or I can just kind of play the middle. That's kind of why I put her in in parentheses to a certain degree because this is you know. <clears throat> but it gave it probably gave Cicero reason to trust her. Exactly. Here's to why exactly guy who's fed me information. <clears throat> they'll never look for me in her tent. Okay. Very he good, asked sir. Her to watch, stand at the door. Trusted mm-hmm. her enough to to post her as the guard and fall asleep. If it was Brock's wife, do you think he would have done this? No. Nope. No. This is, this is very good. And what does she do? She doesn't hesitate. As soon as he's asleep, what does she do? And footnotes say that 
the uh, the Israelite women, mm-hmm. one of their tasks on a you know a regular basis is setting up tents. So it's not like she wouldn't know. How She's to never lifted a, a hammer and a tent. This is a woman you would not want to cross if she's got a tent peg and a hammer in her hand. Right. It's kind of like whatever she had. Okay. You know, go pull a, a peg out of the ground here. And she used what she had. She didn't have a magic sword or something. She right. Tools at hand. Um, I've never driven a tent peg through a man's head before. I'm guessing it's not like going through hot butter. <laughs> um, I'm guessing that on the very first blow, it's gonna, it's gonna, right? That's exactly it. You better go hard and fast. And I can only imagine how violent this attack was. <clears throat> this was not just a, you know, you watch vampire movies from the 50s. There's the vampire and he's looking right at you and clunk, dead, right? I don't think it was that fast. You can certainly expect there was some kind of violent encounter here, but she wins, she wins and kills him. What is the result of this battle? Israel became stronger and stronger until they finally destroyed Jabin. Jabin. Done. Let's read the Song of Deborah. There's, yep. a, there's a sense there of, you know, I'm going to parallel this to mm-hmm. life. Yep. You go out, you trust God, you listen to his voice, you go out and you win the small battles. Uh-huh. You win the beginning, and it, you know, success begets success. Yep. And then they kind of just jump right to, oh, we don't know how much it took to completely destroy Jabin. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, I mean, ultimately that's what happened. It was mm-hmm. wiped him completely out. This is really good. That victory doesn't happen sometime, most of the time doesn't happen all at once is what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. It takes steps to get there and sometimes steps back. <laughs> it's a slow march. Totally agree with that sometimes. Yeah, like the first part was <coughs> it said the Lord defeated them with the sword. Yeah. Then sister goes running away. Mm-hmm. Then Barak chases the chariots and the army. Mm-hmm. And then they kill all sister's men. Mm-hmm. And so like it's all these like st- you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of a sudden Barak's got some guts. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I see how this is really going. Right. The first he was. How many of us are are Barak? I'm just going to admit it. How many of us, when confronted with what we are being told or God is telling us, not all in. We don't put all our chips into the table. But isn't it great? And I mean, I think about the blind man that God healed um, by wiping mud on his, on his eyes. It took, you know, he did it twice. It was a two-stage miracle. It's a very famous two-stage miracle. And a lot of scholars and, and very smart people say it's because Jesus was giving this man a chance to believe. Sometimes we need to be given a little bit to understand, to believe, so we can believe more. Maybe this was one of those times. <clears throat> somewhere in the New Testament talks about that he used the faith of Jesus to continue on. It wasn't like he had mustered up this massive Ooh. amount of faith, but he mm-hmm. referred to Jesus' faith nice. in God the Father. Nice. Sometimes we have to borrow that that faith mm-hmm. that God's going to come through for us because he always did, always mm-hmm. has. Um, 
instead of thinking I have to come up with it myself. Nice. That's good. <clears throat> I like God's timing in the end, too, because yep. right after she does, sticks his feet up, head through his head, then it's a, at that very moment, here comes Brock, and he says, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, you're right on time, uh, you know, right? Jeez Louise. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm so glad you're here, uh, right? It's like, well, Deborah said, a woman will do it, and so God timed it so that as soon as this is so good. there's Barack to see, oh, yep, so good. see God, with what Deborah said, you know, is true, the, you know, the prophecy or whatever. I will go with you, but because of the way you're going, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. Who is the first person you're going to think is the woman there? Deborah. Who does it end up being? Yeah. Isn't this awesome? Yes! This is so good. This is so good, guys and gals. Okay, let's go ahead and read the song of Deborah. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings, listen, you rulers. I will sing to the Lord, I will sing. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. O Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched down from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the roads were abandoned. Travelers took the winding paths. Village life in Israel ceased, ceased until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. When they chose new gods, war came to the city gates, and not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts of his warriors in Israel. When the people of the Lord went down to the city gates, wake up, wake up, Deborah, wake up, wake up, break out in song. Arise, O Barak, take captive your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then the men who were, who were left came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came to me with the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Maker, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who, wear, who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, rushing after him into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling of the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the, chip, by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the heights of the field. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought at Tunac by the waters of Megiddo, but they carried off no silver, no plunder. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river of Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping go his mighty steeds. Curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly. 
because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she bought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell, where he sank, there he fell, dead. Through the widows, through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answered her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A girl or two for each man, colorful garments as plunder for Sisera, colorful garments embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this is plunder. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years. Why were the roads abandoned? Let's go through this piece by piece. During the days of Shamgar and Jael, the roads were abandoned. Why would they be abandoned? Well, if you wanted to travel through the highway, mm-hmm. they were, that area was controlled by those, those Canaanite tribes. Yes. You were subject to be raided or plundered. That's killed. it. Things are not safe in Israel. Going through the backwoods. Yep. This is exactly it. Things are not safe for God's people right now. Why are they not safe? God says that God gave them over. <clears throat> they were evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jacob. This is what happens time and again in the book of Judges. The people stop believing in God, and they stop fearing God, and they stop reading the scriptures, they stop praying, and so God does what? gives them over to their enemies. Here, you want to not follow me? Here's what it looks like. Exactly. This is, the, this is what you get. This is it. This is it. And then they cry, right? They cry out. Um, there's, a, there's a brief comment there to no weapons in Israel. So it, it, it appears as though one of the reasons why they've been given over is because they have no effective army. They, they have no cohesion. And I'm going to skip to this one. Did all, thus, did all the tribes help Deborah? What do you notice about this song? No. A bunch of them didn't. A bunch of them didn't even bother. Why? Yep. The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go and gather yep. 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun. Mm-hmm. She doesn't say gather them for Reuben and Ishikar and all But things. I think, but yes, I get that. But I think this is, again, one of those things where it's kind of the, the absence of evidence because here in the Song of Deborah, it's very clear that once these other tribes knew what was happening, they didn't bother to lift a hand at all to help. They didn't bother at all. Satan is really good at destroying God's people. How? How? What's the first thing he's going to do to us? Comfort. Say it. Comfort. Comfort. That's a that's a good way. You don't need you don't so need God. He settled into. I guess this is life now. They, like those tribes <coughs> were the ones that were most integrated with yeah. the locals. Okay. They had the intermarriage. Yes. They had all yep. the other things, their business dealings. Yep. 
they had a lot to lose yep. by bad things happening to Israel's enemies. This is perfect. Satan can conquer us by saying, well, you've got so many tentacles out into the world, the world, that for you to follow Christ makes it a threat to you. There's a threat to you for you to say, I'm not going to follow the ways of the world. Well, that might harm you economically. It might harm you physically. And, and the other thing here is that Satan's doing a really good job fracturing the tribal unity of God's people. Remember, how many tribes are there here of God's people? There are 12 tribes. How many of them are sticking together to help Deborah? <laughs> Less than 12, right? So we have, we have a lack of security. We have people not following God. We have a lack of cohesion amongst God's people. We have really no effective standing army. What is the white donkey reference? Did you notice that one? Some people ride white donkeys and other people are on foot. Who do you think is on white donkeys? Leaders, wealthy, aristocrats. Who's walking? Everyone else. Because I think, wasn't it like the king would ride on the donkey? That's why yes. Jesus rides on a donkey. It's a symbol this that is he's it. the king yep. coming. It's yep. like David rides mm-hmm. on a donkey and he mm-hmm. rode it to Jerusalem on a mm-hmm. donkey also. Yep. And, and remember at this time, we're still in the era of kind of these thug priest kings. You remember I've talked about that in the past. We're still in the era. In fact, in Judges, we will have our first king of Israel. The, the son of Gideon will be crowned a king of Israel. But remember, that's not the king of the united monarchy. That's just a local tribe will say, this guy's our king now. If you were the wealthiest person and you had, if you're wealthy, then you could afford to hire people with weapons. You suddenly are a king, essentially. You have, we have this big separation between the haves and the nots, the have-nots. And that causes a lot of rifts in our society, in their society. Similar to our headlines today. Yeah. How so? Um, I just saw a meme on Facebook that said, you know, some people are ticked off about the billionaires, and some people are ticked off about the government. And then it said, don't you realize that it's the billionaires that are controlling the government? I mean, it's kind of true. I mean, you know. If you got the money, you can buy loyalty and... Your way. Is it fair? No. Is it reality? Kinda. The stars fought each other. What is that reference to? Do you remember that? <clears throat> to me, that sounds like a recognition that it's God's power yes. in battle. It's the powers from above. Yes. This is it. We have a great spiritual battle happening. Folks, it happens. There is a great spiritual realm around us that influences us. You can measure it. It can be measured by its effect on us. You can't see gravity. No one's ever seen gravity, but you can measure it by its effects on people. Look, you can see the effects of the spiritual good and bad forces of our universe happening right now. They were fighting each other spiritually just as they were physically. Here's a good one. There's a mention in verse 11 about songs happening at the water place. Look, I just gave it away. What happens at the water place? The voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the righteous acts of the Lord. Tell me about watering places in antiquity. Who went there? Women. Women. Why did they go there? 
to get water. They needed to get water. What happens at the water cooler? This is the eight, this is the water cooler of antiquity. What happens at the water cooler? People talk stories. And guess what? This is a really good cultural reference here. What are they singing at the watering places? The Song of Deborah. <laughs> this, what, and this is a really important one. What is the role of songs in Israel at this period? Remembrance. This is it. This is it. Jesus loves me. You know, this was the way that scripture was memorized and transmitted in antiquity. Period. Scripture, stories, people would memorize these and they would memorize them exactly. They wouldn't have error like today. I mean, we, we get off easy with Google, folks. If I don't know something, I just Google it and I'm like, oh yeah, it's this. They didn't have Google. They didn't have the internet. They didn't, a lot of them, again, didn't have books. The only way they remembered these, and most of them were not literate, is they would have to hear it and recite it verbally. A lot of the stories of the law, of Israel, of our relationship with God, were happening at the watering holes. This was a hugely important part. It wasn't like people were showing up every day in some classroom. They, they, they were classrooms that did happen amongst some people. This is where a lot of it was happening. And this is where a lot of truth was happening. How do you apply that to today? Where is our watering hole today? Church. Church. That's a big one. That's number one. Where else? Sponsor. <clears throat> okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is it. SICOM, you know, the, the mission conferences. Where else is it happening? Small groups. Small groups. Oh, this is so good. Where else? Here. Right here. Yeah. Fellowship. Anytime you are amongst other human beings, this, is, this has an opportunity to happen. So I would even argue it includes things like work, the store, movie theater. Well, not during the movie. We have such a great opportunity, folks. There's a reason why God has made us social creatures. We are social creatures, and many of us feel antisocial, but it's in our DNA to interact with other humans at some point. And when we do, I think God is telling us, this is your chance. Tell people truth, recite. And, and why is it so great to sing songs? Who likes to sing songs or who likes music? <laughs> I think a lot of people like music, right? <laughs> I find it, you know, I think that uh, you know, as we face trials, hmm? we face the next thing that's coming out, the next fear, that type of thing, it's important for us to look back, yeah. to remember. The word remember to me means to re-member, to bring the parts of mm-hmm. the story back together. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So if I look back on my life, you know, what so far... I've gotten through everything mm-hmm. that I've faced in my life. Everything. Nice. And that's the truth of the matter. Yet I still look forward to the <coughs> next thing. And go, oh, I'm not going to, you know, not going to survive this. It's going to be the worst possible outcome. 
I don't have the opportunity in conversations, yep. Bible study, and yep. song singing, that kind of stuff, to remember what God brought me through at this point. Nice. I can't walk courageously with mm-hmm. the next thing. That's good. I think songs and music are so important, mm-hmm. and that's why. Because we do remember them, we we sing them, and if you're putting the wrong words Mm -hmm. in your mind, you know, it can cause you to go astray. Whereas if you're listening to Christian music on the radio, Mm -hmm. you know, those are the songs that you remember. Mm -hmm. That's kind of it. You know, the scientist says nature abhors a vacuum. What does that mean? It means that in the universe, something will fill every niche. A living thing, there's life everywhere on earth. There's literally life in the clouds, on the surface, under the earth, in the water. The same is true of you and your spiritual journey. If you're not filling your head with good things, something will fill your head. Something will fill your mind and your thoughts. And whatever you think of constantly and dwell on, that's what you're going to be focused on. You know, it's like, uh, again, the, maybe the, the pickle analogy. If you put a cucumber in vinegar, what does it become like? Pickle. It becomes a pickle. It becomes like vinegar. It's unavoidable. If you, if you immerse yourself in sin and, and worry and hate and, and you're not filling it with scripture and prayer and fellowship with your fellow Christians... I guarantee you, you will, you will be a kind of pickle. <laughs> you will be pickled. You will not be pickled in righteousness. <laughs> you will be in a pickle. My guy that works for me, a couple weeks ago, came to work on Monday, and he's like, oh, I'm in big trouble at home. I said, what did you do? He said, well, we went out the other night. There was this friend with us, and there was this gal. They were in a bar. There was this gal, and this guy was interested in her, so he said, I was trying to encourage him to go talk to mm-hmm. her and stuff, and during the conversation, he says, my guy that works for me, who's <coughs> married, and his mm-hmm. wife was there, he said, well, if I wasn't married, I'd, and he went into this type of dialogue, and he got in a little bit of trouble about that, <coughs> and so he was telling me about it, and then, you know, a few days later, we kind of trade off I listen to his music, he listens mm-hmm. to my music type of thing while we're working. And he's playing his music one day, and it's some, you know, this, these lyrics are, you know, I can't make a life with you, but I can have sex with you, and this, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's just this constant mm-hmm. barrage of, of just shallowness, and, mm-hmm. you know, sex is just mm-hmm. whatever. And I said... I said, if this is the stuff you're listening to, it's yep. no wonder you say things like that. Mm-hmm. And man, he just, oh, it is not. And I was like, man, you got to think about that because you get that constant in your head. Yep, it's just natural. Ken, this is this is this is this is what's going to make you an enemy of the world faster than anything. If you are a normal Westerner, an American, a European. What, what kind of crap are you consuming on a daily or hourly basis? TVs that's, that, are, that are awful. Movies that are awful. Songs that are awful. You're reading garbage on the internet that's awful, right? At soon, that's normal. That's no- How many of us who have kids have sat down to watch a movie that maybe we remember was really cool and we like, and all of a sudden you're sitting there and they're saying the F word like three or four times. You're like, I didn't remember how many times... <laughs> 
the F word was in this movie. And you're, you're like, it became so normal for me that I didn't even think of it, right? Now that I have to think of it, I'm like, this is not good. Turn it off, right? <clears throat> it's... That's a great point. That's a great point. When people get sick and they'll survive, and then they'll say, I don't know why I, I pull through. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm here, <laughs> but I'm here for it, and I'm here for something. But the Bible commands us to tell the good news. Can I just say, I'm gonna, I'm, here's my soapbox. I'm going to be pretty intense about this. We have people in our own church who have been at this church for over a decade who have been cured of very, very serious life-threatening diseases. And they, they are also surprised that they were cured. And I'm not going to name any names, but they literally go, I don't know how it happened. I don't know why I've been cured. And I'm thinking to myself, do you believe that God can do it or not? People prayed for you. You prayed. Isn't it so true that we are so reprogrammed in our society today that when God does actually act and he acts in our lives every day, we're shocked by it, we're surprised by it, or we don't even realize it. We're, we're even negative about it. Like, no, no, that wasn't God. So, you know, that wasn't a miracle. You pass it off as, oh man, I got lucky there. Yes. Yes. Soapbox, good way. All right, <laughs> this is awesome. We're, I think we're gonna keep doing about two chapters a week. Um, next week, we're gonna talk about one of the most famous judges of all, Gideon. We'll talk about Gideon next week. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you.